When going along the highways, we drivers should make it our business to watch the road signs. When approached with another's problem, the most common tendency is to suggest what possible You're action likely to make someone defensive. Thus, responding this way frequently must be our More cool weather on the way. Details on Nikon. The race to be the best, to be the king of the road, goes on and on. The batteries tend to last only a few hours. That's not keeping the buyers away. If only you had more energy. You have to be thrifty nowadays. You work too hard for your money. This weekend, we're opening doors all over the area. Don't you can afford. Journey week number three in our series that we're calling Downshift, where we've been exploring what does it look like for us to practically try to eliminate some of the hurry, some of the worry, some of the busyness that can plague us in life in America. And we've been talking about spiritual practices, and today we're talking about the practice of simplicity. I just want to let you know again, we've said this each time, but uh, a lot of the content and kind of the outline around this sermon series comes from a book by a man named John Mark Comer. He's a pastor in Portland, and he wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I would commend that book to you. Grab that, read it, let it change your life the way it's changing mine. And it is changing my life. Um, and one of the challenging things uh, about this series is, I said this on week one, is that it's born out of my own struggle in life. I like to talk about things. I love to teach things that I have a little bit of mastery over. This, I don't. I struggle with slowing down. And here's what's challenging about this as well, is you, you start to talk about what you're trying to do as you're learning something. Uh, you're actually inviting scrutiny into your life. It gives you the opportunity to look at my life and just say, how are you doing with that? But I also want to say, I really like that because in one sense, I need you. I need your help. I don't need you policing my life, but I want you to partner with me in life. And I want to partner with you because we need to do this well. We need to do it better because the mission matters. For us to accomplish the mission that God has given to us as followers of Jesus and collectively as a spiritual family, we've got to figure this out. And you've heard me say probably multiple times now what our mission is in and around Journey Church. We lead people to become all-in followers of Jesus. And when we say all-in, this is how we define it. People that are willing to surrender their time, their talents, their treasures, and their plans to become all-in followers of Jesus. That's what it means for us to be all-in. But here's what I know to be true. I know what it's like to invite people into that mission. People never say, almost never say, I don't like that. I don't agree with that. I don't want to do that. What always seems to come back is, that sounds great, but... I don't have time. 
I don't have margin in my life to add any more things, even if it has something to do with following Jesus. We are so scattered in our life. I can be so scattered in my life that my time, talent, treasure, plans, and my attention can be focused in way too many directions. And what tends to happen with us, quite honestly, is we tend to give God the scraps of our life. He doesn't get our best. He gets gets what's left over. And we miss out, friends. We miss out on the life that he wants us to experience. And I know you want to experience it. I know that you do. But for us to experience the life that Jesus wants to offer us, the abundant life, a fruitful life, we've got to think about how do we grab hold of his lifestyle? And when I say lifestyle, I'm talking about how do we begin to build the rhythms and routines of the life of Jesus into our life? Jesus said it this way in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. He says, life is found in me. And there's two things. There's the reality that he is the truth and that he is the way. And we focus a lot for good reason on the truth. We need to understand what is true about him. What is true about us? What is true about how we relate to him? Good theology matters. But here's what I need to say. Good theology by itself is not gonna create the life of Jesus in your life. We've got to see him not just as the truth, but we need to see him as the way. That word also can be translated path. It's like, this is how I need to walk. I need to take the kind of steps, Jesus, that you took. I need to walk in your footsteps. I need the practices of your life to become the practices of my life. And friends, that's what this series is about. What are some of the practices that we need to engage in if we're gonna live the kind of life that Jesus wants us to live? We're talking about slowing down. Last week, Brian talked about silence and solitude. And today, we're gonna talk about simplicity. Because when we look at the life of Jesus, he didn't live a hurried, worried, crazy, pull your hair out by the roots kind of a life. He was peaceful. He was calm. He was joyful. Jesus lived a life of simplicity. Jesus taught about a life of simplicity. It's kind of interesting, isn't it, when we read about the gospel writers' accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus? Here's what we don't hear a lot about. What were Jesus' hobbies? Did Jesus even have hobbies? Did he go on vacation? What were his leisure activities? How much time did Jesus spend shopping for his clothes? How did he manage all of his possessions in life? Now, I can't say that those things didn't happen. They likely did. I can't argue from silence, but here's what I know from the gospel writer's account. It wasn't the main thing for him. His life was simple and it was focused and it was focused on what mattered most. He knew what mattered most and he gave his energy and his life to it 
Because he knew what was important for now and he knew what was important for eternity and he organized his life around that and he taught his followers to do the exact same thing. Here's why I think this message is gonna be difficult for people to ingest. Because here's what I think many of us have bought into because we live in American culture Here's what we believe. Life equals more. If I'm gonna kind, find the kind of life that I want, it's gonna take more money. It's gonna take more time. It's gonna take more things. It's gonna take more experiences. It's gonna take more experience of pleasure in this life for me to have what I want. This is the message of the good old US of A. This is the message that we hear over and over and over again. And many of you, if you're just honest, you just think, yeah, I believe that. That's what I'm trying to get. I want more of things in this life. That leads me to believe that as a culture, we don't live simple lives. In fact, if we're really honest, we live lives of excess here in America. Let me just give you a handful of statistics that I found incredibly interesting in terms of excess, and it's getting worse. Did you know that the average home in America, this is just average, the average home in America has 300,000 items in it, 300,000, and we don't have room for it. Did you know that a study was done on people that live in America that have two-car garages? Did you know that 25% of people that have two-car garages are able to park exactly zero cars in their two-car garage? And did you know that another 32% of people, homes that have two-car garages, are only able to park one car in their garage? We have so much stuff. And here's what's amazing about that in my mind is if you look back to the 1950s versus now, in the 1950s, homes were half the size, less than half the size that they are now. And family size is actually half the size now as it was in the 50s. We have way less people, way more room, and we still can't fit it all. Did you know that every man, woman, and child that lives in America right now has allocated to them seven and a half square feet of storage unit space. We don't even have enough space in our house to house everything. We've got to get storage unit to store all of our stuff. And now think about this with me. We can't even afford all of the things that we're buying. Consumer debt in the good old US of A because life equals more the average person, $15,000 of credit card debt, just credit card debt, not leveraged in other ways as well. That means couples on average, 30 grand of consumer debt. We can't even afford all this stuff that is filling our houses. Some of you are just thinking, wow, oh, that's not me. That's for those rich people out there. Now, granted, it probably could be more challenging for people of means 
to deal with this issue of life equals more. If you're in poverty, this idea of simplicity or simple living is just simply trying to stay alive. That's not the issue. But let me hear, I want you to hear this. Did you know that if you make $25,000 a year in America, you are in the top 10% of income earners worldwide? If you raise that number to $34,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of all income earners worldwide. And now hear this. Of that 1%, you know where half of that 1% live? Right here in the good old US of A. Life equals more. So if that's true, we have the most of anyone in the world. So wouldn't you think then that we would be the happiest? We would be the most fulfilled, the most content people on the planet, right? Not even close. In fact, Greg Easterbrook, in his book titled this, The Progress Paradox, subtitled, How Life Gets Better While People Feel Worse, Here's what he notes. Adjusting for population growth, hear this, friends, 10 times as many people in Western nations suffer from unipolar depression or unremitting bad feelings without a specific cause than did half a century ago. He says this, Americans and Europeans have ever more of everything except happiness. This is, not, this is not a Christ follower. This is just research that's just looking at what's happening in our country. We've got to come to the conclusion, this is bad math. Life, contentment, happiness is not found in more. In fact, studies have shown that as wealth goes up, as progress goes up, happiness and contentment actually go down at certain levels. I'm a little bit of an engineer, so when I see a graph, it grabs my attention. Here's what I saw, some of the studies. If we were to measure well-being defined as happiness, contentment, on the x-axis, y-axis, x-axis, it's been a long time since I've been an engineer. This is what happens. Happiness goes up at a certain level. And this is for people that are coming out of poverty. Money matters to them. But here's what the studies show. That sense of well-being tends to plateau out and actually starts to go down over time as people have more resource. All the research is saying life is not found in more. And here's the break point. A couple of different studies put that number at about $70,000 a year. When a family gets to a place of $70,000 a year, regardless of where you live in the United States, that's where things start to go downhill with more money. The great theologian, the great philosopher, notorious B.I.G., had it figured out. More money, Mo problems, you heard it from Daniel first. These are not Christ followers. 
These are just people that are observing our culture and what's happening to us as a culture. And here's the thing. There is a marketing machine out there, an advertising machine that bets billions of dollars every year that they can stoke this in you, that they can fan that desire into flame. They've got a target on your back. And it's amazing how accurate their target is. They're not just throwing out advertisement willy-nilly anymore. You've experienced those times, haven't you, where you've Googled something and then suddenly you start looking in your social media feed and you start seeing ads for that very thing that you Googled. They know what you're looking at. They're doing everything they can to create desire in you because they know that the undercurrent of our culture is that we believe that life is found in more. Following the 1950s, some smart marketing people looking at what happened following World War II in Germany, looking at what Hitler did around propaganda, around marketing, to change the mindset of an entire people. Whereas if they could step back and look what he led them into, they would just say, no way, we wouldn't do this. But propaganda, advertising, changed the mindset of a culture. Well, these marketers came back to the United States and said, we can do the same thing in the United States. Here's what one Wall Street banker had to say. I love how he phrased this. He said, we must shift America from a needs to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire, to want new things, even before the old have been entirely consumed. We must shape a new mentality. Men's desires must overshadow his needs. That was the birthplace of planned obsolescence, where we want new stuff even before the old stuff is gone. That's why you need an iPhone 12 before you've completely figured out how to use your iPhone 11. We want new and better, and we want it now. And they pour that into our lives. Four to 5,000 advertisements a day are passing the screen of your mind. Can you imagine that? And they want to grow that hunger in you, that desire for stuff, because they know deep down so many of us believe that life is found in more. But the research is saying this is catastrophic. The level of materialism and greed that we experience in and around our culture is wreaking havoc, not only on the emotional health of people, but we see it in the church, the spiritual health of people. We've got to realize that is bad math. This idea that life is found in more. And here's what's been challenging for me personally and when I think about us as a church, because we live in this culture, we are swimming in it. And I think in so many ways, we just don't see it because it is everywhere around us. We don't think that it's us. But friends, I think we need to be honest. We need to look back at our life and we need to say, is this us? Have we bought into that lie that life is found in more? Because 2,000 years ago, the God of the universe came to this earth and he had a very different message than this. The message of Jesus was simply this. Life 
equals less. He said, that's how my kingdom works. That's the reality of this world that I've created. And Jesus talked about this principle over and over and over in the New Testament, sometimes in ways that I I just think it goes past our mind and we don't even grab a hold of it, but we're gonna look into it today. Luke chapter 12 is a great section where Jesus engages this topic with a group of people. He talks about greed, he talks about money, he talks about worry, he talks about hurry, and what we need to do to remove that from our life. He talks about the problem. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13, here's how this section starts. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Here's what Jesus is seeing in the heart of this man that's asking that question. He wants his stuff. I want more. Life is found in more. Jesus sees that in his heart. And Jesus doesn't just let things sit. He doesn't just look at the surface things. He's always looking at our heart. What is driving our thinking? What is our motivation? And so he presses in with this man. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then Jesus goes right to the heart because he knows what's happening in the heart of that man was probably happening in the hearts of lots of people that he was talking to. And he knew that 2,000 years later, it's happening in lots of our lives as well too. So here's what Jesus said. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard. Jesus is saying, when you see that in you, this lust for more things, this lust for money, this lust for stuff, he said, be on your guard, pay attention. Let that be a warning light on the dashboard of your car. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed for life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus is just categorically saying, it's not true. This is not true. We can't buy into it. A man's life, a person's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Here's the challenge for us. It's easy to say, it's easy for Jesus to say it, but we've got to ask the question, do we really believe what Jesus said? Do we really believe that this is the message that we need to grab a hold of? That life equals less. That living on less will actually create a better life for us, a more abundant life, a more peaceful life a more joyful life, a life that is more focused with purpose and meaning, and a life that has more freedom to it. Do we really believe the message of Jesus? Maybe we do, maybe we don't. But can we play just a little bit of what if? What if Jesus was right? What if Jesus actually knew what he was talking about? Jesus, the creator of all things, he made this world. He made me, he made you. He knows how this world works. And what if he designed this world in such a way that we experience the best of this life when we learn to live on less? And so if we 
buy into this, if we think this is what's gonna bring us life, we're actually cutting against the grain of this world that Jesus created. We're going completely against the fabric of what this world is about. Maybe these are just like laws of the universe that Jesus created in the same way that equals MC squared or gravity. It's just natural laws that we need to live by to find life. What if life equals more is bad math? What if more stuff just means more stress, more hours at the office, more debt, more years that we have to work in a job that we don't even like doing, more time cleaning, more time fixing, more time organizing, reorganizing, all this stuff in our life that we don't even need. And what if this pursuit of more actually brings less of the things that really matter to us? Less time, less financial freedom, less generosity, less ability to give to others, less peace, less focus, less mental energy toward the things that really matter to us, less relationships, less margin, less prayer, you name it. Less of all those things that our heart and our soul actually long for. What if? What if we were to reject this message as a half-truth? Maybe even worse than that, it is just a bold-faced lie. What if we just rejected it and we started to live into the message of Jesus that life is found in less and we started to try to move toward a life of simplicity? Before we get too much further, I wanna define what I'm talking about when I say simplicity. Some of the things that I've read, there are a couple of great definitions out there. One from Joshua Becker, He's a follower of Jesus, a former pastor, and he writes almost exclusively on the spiritual practice of simplicity. I loved his definition. He said, simplicity is the intentional promotion of the things we most value and the removal of everything that distracts us from them. Secondly, Richard Foster, who writes so much on spiritual disciplines, his definition of the spiritual discipline of simplicity is this. Simplicity is an inward reality. It's something that's happening in our heart that can be seen in an outward lifestyle of choosing to leverage time, money, talents, and possessions toward what matters most. The place that I think you need to understand in those two definitions is that one is talking about what we value most and what matters most. So many times I think we can go too quickly in talking about simplicity to what are the things that I need to say no to. Both Becker and Foster would say, that is not where you start. You don't start with the things that you say no to. You've got to start with, what are the things that I'm going to say yes to? What are the things that are most important to me? We've got to think about the end of our life. Stephen Covey said, begin with the end in mind. Start at the end of your life looking back and asking yourself, what is gonna matter on my deathbed? What are gonna be the things that I'd wished I'd given my life to? Start there. What is your compelling yes? We've got to have a compelling yes or we'll never know what we need to say no to. We've got to figure out what is our compelling yes. Can I make a suggestion? If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, 
your apprenticeship to him, your discipleship to him, your willingness to go all in for him should make your list. It should make your list of the most important things. And you should start to organize your life around that and start to say no to those things that distract you from that because there is power. There is power in simplicity and power in focus. There's probably no greater example of this in the secular world than Steve Jobs. This guy was ruthlessly simple. Now, I don't hold Steve Jobs up as a character to follow. There's so many parts of his life that were just a train wreck. But this, he got right, the power of simplicity. His diet was incredibly regimented. His schedule, simple and regimented. His clothes, This was his outfit every day. That's all he wore. Black turtleneck, blue jeans, new balance shoes. That's all he wore. Why? He said, I don't want to get up in the morning and give one bit of mental energy trying to think about what I should wear today. I want to give every ounce of my creative thinking to what matters most to me. And this is what mattered to him. His mantra, few things, better things. Few things done well. That's what he lived his life around. And for good or for bad, I don't think any of us can argue Steve Jobs changed the world. He had a compelling yes, and he knew what to say no to. Friends, followers of Jesus, do we have a more compelling yes than Steve Jobs? Absolutely. Connecting our life to the God of the universe, helping people that are separated from him come into that kind of a relationship with him, helping people to grow in that relationship. We should be saying yes to that with everything that we've got, with all of the simplicity, with all of the focus that Steve Jobs gave to Apple We should give that much more because Jesus has asked us to change the world. But if we're gonna change the world the way Jesus wants us to change the world, we've gotta have focus. We've gotta have simplicity the same way that Jesus had. Here's my ask. I just wanna ask you, would you take some time to look at your life? Just look at your life. Honestly, ruthlessly, would would you do an audit and ask yourself, is my life simple? Proverbs 14.8, I love what it says. It says, the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. If you sat back and did an audit of your life, would you say that you're living by this? That life equals more? Or would you be buying in to the message of Jesus that life equals less? And here's what I love about this invitation that Jesus gives us. He's not prescriptive with any of it. He doesn't tell us in the Bible, this is how many pairs of shoes you should have. This is how big your house should be. This is how nice your car should be. This is how much you should spend on this. This is how much time you should allocate to that. He doesn't say any of that, but he gives us his word, his truth, his principles, 
and he gives us his Holy Spirit to guide us. This is my invitation to you. Would you look at your life? Would you invite the Holy Spirit into that audit of your life and just honestly ask, is my life simple? And if it's not, begin to change some things in your life. And there is so much that is written out there on this idea of simplicity. I just wanna share a handful of things that grab my attention about my own life. But I believe that the Holy Spirit is gonna grab something different in your life. But here's some principles that I grabbed a hold of. Before you buy anything, ask yourself, what is the true cost of this? Because when we buy something, it's not just money. Oftentimes there's time, there's energy, there's attention. We're cashing all of that in for some of the things that we purchase. As I was trying to reflect on this in my own life, one of the more significant purchases that Carmen and I have made in the last five years or so is we bought a small camper. We're not, we're not big travelers. We don't go a lot of places. So we just thought this would be a great way for us to unwind and relax. So we bought a camper. You just need to understand that it costs way more than the manufacturer's suggested retail price. There's way more to it than that. There's all this additional equipment that you need to buy to outfit it. There's all these accessories that you need to buy to enable yourself to use it. You've got to maintain it. You've got to insure it. You've got to license it. You've got to fix the silly thing when it breaks. And now you can pay somebody to do that, which costs more money, or you can spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to do it yourself. Break it again. You have to winterize it. Which again, you can pay somebody to do that or you can figure out how to do it yourself. I was too cheap, so I thought, I'm gonna figure out how to do it myself. But then when I unwinterized it and powered up the water, I just realized I didn't do it right. So now I've gotta pay to have somebody else fix it again. You gotta figure out how to store it, where to store it. You gotta pay the fine to the city for parking it in front of your house for too long. Thank you, neighbor, for calling the parking police. This thing that you buy to relax and have fun and relieve stress can actually create hurry and anxiety in your life and suck so much of your time. Before you buy anything, think about all the ways that it's going to cost you. Second thing that grabbed my attention was don't impulse buy. You ever just see that thing where you you gotta gotta buy something, you just see it and you've gotta have it? There's nothing worse for me than Costco. I don't know. I think that there's this mindset because, you know, they don't always have the same thing all the time, you know? So when it's there, it's like, God, I better buy it like right now because they may not have it tomorrow. And then sometimes I think to myself, well, well, they may not get this back in stock again. And I think I really like it. So I better get two of those. That's what I do. Or I see something that I like and then I've just got to get all the colors of it because it's such a great deal. It's an impulse buy. Don't buy things on an impulse. Slow down. Give yourself a couple days. Costco will have more good deals coming down the pipe. I promise you. Maybe take a week. Think about your purchase. Don't impulse buy. When you're in your social media feed and you see that thing that you Googled and now they're showing you an ad and right below it, it just says, Shop now. Like I gotta do it now because it's only on sale now. Just say, no, I'm not gonna do it. Shop, no. 
Hold off. Wait, you may not even want it that much in a week. Don't impulse buy. Third thing that grabbed my attention is that we would ruthlessly begin to eliminate things from our schedule. That we would actually take an audit or an inventory of the things that we're giving our time to. If you're single, I encourage you to do this. If you are a couple, I encourage you to do this with your spouse. If you are a family, I encourage you to do it all together. Get out sticky notes and begin to write out all the activities that you're involved in. Write each one of them on a sticky note and put it on the table. You will be amazed at the number of things that will be out on the table. And as a group, think about it. What is it that maybe God has for me right now? What is it that he wants for me? And begin to take things off that are a distraction from the things that really matter most. I tried to do this not with all the activities, but just my work schedule, the things that I'm giving my life and my time to. It was a challenging exercise. I had a consultant that was helping me with it that was not an easy conversation because to me, everything was important. I kept telling him, I can get up earlier. I like to get up early. And he said, you can't do it. Bob, there's not enough hours. You will break. You've got to say no to some things. So you gotta figure out what are the most important things that you do in your job. Say yes to those and remove the other things. One thing that we need to do if we wanna sim- simplify our lives is we need to give stuff away. That breaks the power of greed in our life. Give your money away. Give your stuff away. If you wanna decrease greed in your life and increase gratitude, you've got to give stuff away. Just before Christmas this last year, a friend of mine that not, doesn't attend our church but was talking with me about how much she hated heading into Christmas and how much money they were gonna spend on all this stuff that they didn't need. I just remember just, she was exasperated. My daughter does not need another pair of Lululemon leggings. She just doesn't. And she said, and so she just asked me, just kind of on a whim, I think, do you know of a family that we could help out? And I like, instantly, I, I, there was nobody that came to mind. Uh, but just how God works, literally two hours later, I get a text from another person that doesn't attend our church, but just said, this might seem kind of random, but there's this need in a friend's life that I have. And I'm just wondering if you know of anyone that could help us with that. Would you help us with this? Would the church help us with this? And I just knew this was, this was God working. He wanted to do something. I don't know what happened on the receiving end of that. I'm assuming it was a blessing, but I do know what happened on the giving side. She said, best Christmas ever. I had never had so much fun shopping than I did when I was giving it away. You may have heard this before. It's more blessed to give than to receive. The words of Jesus. Do you think that maybe Jesus knows how he designed this universe to work? How he designed our life to work? And when we let go of things, when we give things away, it actually lightens our load in a way that we find more life. Just thinking about, as all these things are wrestling in my mind over and over again, had a conversation with a buddy and he's a part of a group of guys. They've kind of formed a circle 
And as he was telling me who was in the group, it was some of the most successful entrepreneurial people that I know inside and outside of the church. Super successful. And as they were getting together for their first time together, here was the question that they were asking. If you only had 10 years left, what would you stop doing? If you only had 10 years left, what would you stop doing? And it just made me think about that group of guys, the ones that I knew around the table, like I said, the most successful people that I know in all of their different disciplines and areas. They knew what the best question to ask was, we have to stop doing some things. We've got to simplify our life. And to me, I was just thinking, that's just a picture of why they're successful. They're leaning in to this world the way Jesus defined it. What is it that we're going to stop doing? I believe that's our invitation from Jesus is to ask ourselves, do we really believe that life is less? What is it that we need to remove from our life? What do we need to say no to so that we can grab a hold of that compelling yes in our life? That's his invitation. But here's the deal. Jesus makes invitations, but we make decisions. He's not gonna make those decisions for us, but we need to make them. I wanna close with the Apostle Paul. And don't put the scripture up yet because I wanna reflect on the very last verse of this section that I'm gonna read because it's one of the most quoted, it's the most bumper stickered, it's the most put up on the wall. And it's this, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I remember, I couldn't find it, but I remember seeing one time that that's the most tattooed scripture verse. People put that on their body. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, through him who gives me strength. And when I hear people talking about it, it's like, I'm gonna win. I'm gonna get that deal. I'm gonna make this happen. I'm gonna win in this life. Do you know what Paul was talking about? Do you know what Paul was talking about when he talked about I can do all things? He was talking about contentment. He was talking about life equals less. That's the context of this verse. Let me close with this. Here's Paul, starting in verse 10. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. That's the big deal for Paul, learning to be content in every situation. Not living as life equals more, but life equals less, content in every circumstance. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And then he said, I have learned the secret of being content. I love that, that he uses the word secret. Because what is a secret? A secret is something that just a handful of people know. Not everybody gets it. And I think Paul's right. This idea of contentment, this idea that life equals less, not a lot of us get it. It's a secret. But it's a secret that we've got to get out, that we've got to live. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this or all things through him 
who gives me strength. Paul's just telling us straight up, life equals less. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your example of how to live this life. Jesus, would you give us courage to live into your truth? Don't let us buy into the lies that life is about having more. Jesus, show us the path. Show us your path, your life, your lifestyle, where we can live on less and have the abundant life that you've promised. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you. The best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net slash give. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.